Welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson. This week we're going to be talking about the Proud Boy rally in D.C. over the weekend, continuing rallies in favor of Trump's election, a check-in on Bolsonaro, and finally a see you in hell segment about one of the founders of the modern conservative movement in the United States, Paul Weyrich. So the last week saw continuations of the trends that we've seen since election day of right-wing groups in the United States protesting in favor of Donald Trump's candidacy for president, uh, despite the fact that the Electoral College met this Monday, uh, December 14th, which means that Joe Biden is going to be inaugurated as the president on January 20th of next year. So despite all of this, uh, lots of right-wing groups throughout the country have been rallying uh, against his inauguration and in favor of the continuation of Trump and his legacy. Uh, for example, in Olympia, Washington, there has been two weeks so far in which an, a left-wing activist has been shot by a right-wing protester. Uh, this also happened last week. The bigger rallies this week were in Washington, D.C., uh, where a large contingent of right-wing protesters, many of them Proud Boys, uh, converged in the nation's capital basically as a show of strength and to indicate that they're not going to go away despite Donald Trump's loss in the presidential election, that they're actually going to be continuing to organize and trying to just, you know, figure out where they're going to go politically, what their options are, what they're going to be doing um, in the coming years. This rally resulted in a lot of property destruction uh, and even church desecration. Proud Boys were seen ripping banners from historically black churches in D.C. Uh, these banners were specifically Black Lives Matter banners. These are then right wing protesters in the United States actually assaulting churches, uh, something reminiscent of things that the KKK did, uh, planting burning crosses in historically black churchyards and uh, the homes of black church leaders. There was also human violence. Uh, there were several stabbings and some gunshots reported. Uh, the violence was both directed at random passersby and specifically at leftist activists. At least one couple, just literal bystanders, residents of DC, were jumped by the Proud Boys uh, in a widely circulated video. They were just assaulted in the street uh, on the sidewalk trying to, trying to pass the rally. Also, members of the Black Bloc and the IWW, the Industrial Workers of the World, were assaulted by Proud Boy members in their attempts to prevent Proud Boy rallies from gaining territory and, you know, actually being able to take up public space without contestation. Obviously, this sort of shit is not going to be stopping anytime soon. We are going to continue to see this kind of behavior by right wing groups. And it is likely, it's not just possible, it's likely that at some point there's going to be more and more envelope pushing. In the past several months, we have seen several shootings, some of them fatal. We have seen stabbings, some of them incredibly disastrous to the health of the people who have been hurt. That kind of behavior is not going to go away, especially as we approach actual inauguration day when Donald Trump will cease to be the president. Exactly what these people are going to do with their political lives and commitments when that happens, I can't really claim to know. Um, but they're probably not going to be particularly passive about it. If you are attending a counter-protest of one of these right-wing rallies, please stay safe. 
One of the things that right-wingers in the United States have been talking about in terms of post-Trump organizing is they're discussing forming a third party, a new political party in the United States. Now, this kind of activity isn't particularly unusual. It's pretty common when a group loses, you know, an intra-party contestation for power or when they lose a major electoral struggle for them to consider forming a third party. Just see literally the aftermath of any election uh, in which the left has been unsuccessful in the United States. You know, there's a lot of talk about this in the socialist world, for example, in the Democratic Socialists of America. Now, Trump supporters in the United States are talking about doing the same thing. Uh, currently, they're rallying around the concept of calling it the Patriot Party. Uh, if you want to look at this yourself, uh, go on Twitter and look at hashtag Patriot Party. This is already the name of some state level third parties who are very excited about this additional attention. Uh, adherence to this idea or its proponents going back and forth between claims that they'd be, you know, a sort of uniting force moderate party, that moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans, or that they would be an extreme right wing party of the Republican, you know, Republican defectors, post Trump Republican defectors, die hard, always Trump types. Some of them are even going so far as to say that this would this party would be the home of actual militia organizations like it would, it would have paramilitary wings and things like that. That's a particularly disturbing development, especially if they can actually get off the ground to get some support. Now, the prospects for third parties in the United States are pretty minimal, given how electoral laws work in this country. However, it is part of a generalized realignment in the United States. Uh, extreme right wing people, you know, including GOP members of Congress are turning against Fox. Fox News is, you know, having caved on the election. Some people are even turning from the GOP for having given in on Trump. You know, they're opposed to McConnell. They're, they're, they're pissed off about all sorts of developments in the Republican Party. They accuse of being moderated. Uh, they accuse it of giving up or giving in to the Democrats. There are a lot of people who believe conspiracy theories about, you know, that Trump did actually win. Those people aren't really going to go away. The question, though, is if this energy around forming a new party is going to dissipate into nothingness or if they're the kernels of something new and disturbing. And that's just something we're unfortunately going to have to find out. I really hope that they just disappear into the woodwork and don't come out again for several decades. Now, one member of the international right wing who is not going down in the way that Trump will in January is Jair Bolsonaro, uh, his counterpart in Brazil. Now, in the United States, people always compare Bolsonaro to Trump, and the comparison is valid. You know, they're both strongmen, they're both right-wing populists, but the difference is that Bolsonaro is actually a career politician, and he does seem to know what he's doing when it comes to maintaining power, even in the midst of a horrible, horrible crisis like COVID. Now, Bolsonaro says some crazy shit about COVID. You know, he's suggested that some of the vaccines might turn people into alligators. He thinks that people should just reconcile themselves to death. You know, he's, he's like, everybody dies. You know, we, 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 should, we should stop being cowards. However, despite this, and despite the fact that uh, Brazil has the world's second highest death toll from the virus, Bolsonaro remains extremely popular. He's actually become more popular during the course of the pandemic uh, than he was before it. He's at his highest approval rating ever. This is in large part because, well, 
one reason is just that this is not an election year. So, you know, he was elected last year. It's not like there's much that the Brazilian people can do about it right now. Just, you know, other than hoping for some impeachment proceedings, which are extremely unlikely. The other reason is that he just his government has been giving out relief checks to people. And so for a lot of people, this has actually made life under the pandemic livable in a way that it's just literally not in the United States. I shudder to think I'm actually very terrified of the prospect of a post-Trump right in the United States that looks at this kind of playbook and realizes that it can actually get people's support. It can win working class and impoverished support by actually providing them with material benefits. This is the sort of thing that actual fascist parties did back in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. Fascist parties built stuff. They had economic programs that actually benefited lots of people. Uh, They had employment programs. They improved the lives of millions of people within their countries, specifically at the expense of horrible, horrible brutality, deprivation, and theft from millions and millions of other people. And that's exactly the kind of thing that I can fully imagine becoming very popular, like a very real ideology in the United States. To a certain extent, it's already there. Uh, When we think about how people on the right wing and even a lot of people in the Democratic Party talk about uh, welfare, they, you know, they talk about, quote, government handouts, that, that this money is being taken from working people coded as white and giving to undeserving people coded as people of color, right? That kind of ideology could metastasize into something much more directly fascistic uh, in the right hands, you know, in the hands of somebody who's actually a skilled political manipulator like Bolsonaro. I'm very afraid that this kind of thing is coming in the United States. It's incredibly possible. Uh, And given that Trump is out, it means that there's a vacuum on the right wing in the United States. Uh, A new leader could be emerging and we're going to be seeing over the course of the coming years uh, a lot of those potential leaders jostling for that position. Speaking of contestation on the right wing in the United States over what the Republican Party is going to be, this week's See You in Hell, a segment that highlights the death of a prominent right wing figure in history, is going to be about Paul Weyrich. Now, Paul Weyrich was a major leader of the new right realignment in the Republican Party in the 1970s. The new right, capitalized, capital N, capital R, is a way to refer to this generation of Republican leaders who came about after Nixon uh, and after Barry Goldwater's run in 1964. These Republicans are the origins of the Republican Party as we consider it today both a pro-business party, you know, a classically liberal party in that sense, but also an incredibly socially conservative party, uh, one that advocates for, quote, family values, that opposes the right to choose, uh, that is skeptical of queer rights, well, today only skeptical, but in the past, virulently opposed, right? Weyrich was a major architect of this position within the Republican Party and this stance on the right wing in the United States in general. He advocated for this both in his personal political life uh, and also as the member and founder of several organizations whose legacies across the right wing in the United States have been incredibly lasting and horrible. Uh, He coined the term moral majority, uh, which is a term that is currently used by Jerry Falwell and his ilk to describe 
social conservatism and, you know, the idea of Christian fundamentalism as being foundational to the United States and, you know, something that obviously a quote majority of Americans believe in their minds. He co-founded the Heritage Foundation, probably the largest and most influential conservative think tank in the United States operative today. He co-founded ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, which shares repressive and neoliberal laws across state legislatures in the United States. Look up, you know, if, if, if your state has a really shitty, neoliberal, terrible law, it's entirely possible that it's coming from uh, ALEC lobbyists uh, and that this law was copied from other state legislatures um, in order to promote this kind of Republican ideology. He also tried to found a conservative cable news network a little bit ahead of his time, but this idea would finally culminate successfully in the Fox News organization. Interestingly, from my work, uh, Wyrick was not just a conservative Christian. Specifically, he was a devout Catholic. Uh, so much so a devout and highly orthodox-minded Catholic, incredibly conservative Catholic, that he actually left the Roman Catholic Church after the Second Vatican Council for the Melkites, who are a particular church within the Catholic Church uh, that, you know, doesn't have a lot of the changes to Catholic liturgy that you find after the Second Vatican Council in the Roman Catholic Church. Anyway, that's more on my dissertation and stuff. Back to Paul Weyrich. Weyrich, like I said, is a major pivot point in this transition of the Republican Party from being a classically liberal party, you know, a pro-business party that actually supported things like female suffrage, or that, you know, was the foundation of the abolitionist movement in the United States, to a fully socially conservative party, a party that actually advocates for repression, a party that openly claims that not everybody should be voting, that voting is a privilege that not everybody should be able to do, uh, to being an incredibly racially conservative party, to being a socially religiously and um, sexually conservative party. This turn uh, from conservatism as a means to maintain an imagined status quo to an actually transformative project is explicitly, explicitly that was what Paul Ryvrick was about. He thought that conservatives could be revolutionaries. You know, he thought that they should be out there trying to transform the world to build a new, different, in their minds, better world. This far right turn for the GOP, the very idea of the culture war, and he's a major, major player in this transition. Uh, if you look deeply enough and closely enough, you can see his connections across a lot of the things that you, well, if you're not already, that you should be disgusted by in the United States political landscape today. So Paul Ryrick, who died this week in history, December 18th, relatively recently in 2008, of complications from a spinal injury and also diabetes. We'll see you in hell. All right, that was this week's 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, and I'd like to thank Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro and outro music and graphics. And I will talk to you next week. <laughs>